You know, sometimes when you gather with God's people, when you get to the point where the worship kind of wraps and steps to another point, it's almost like, hey, we can go now because we've been in his presence. And I just want to take a moment and give a shout out to this crew. I mean, Cam, Cam and Olivia. Cam and Olivia are putting, putting words in the mouths of God's people, and they do it with the right heart and posture. You got Nash over on the side here. I love the passion by which he adds to the dynamic. Have you watched him worship? The whole back row, you got Andrew and Hannah and Connor. I mean, the, the talent on the back row is amazing. You got Caleb over here doing his thing when he's not making jokes about my big heart. And Daniel in the woodshed in the cage. Man. You got all the tech crew. You got Phil and Kyle and Chad doing all the stuff behind the scenes we don't see. So let, you know, let's just give it up for that team, can we? Man, I love, I love their hearts. I love their ability to take us before the throne. So, hey, hey yep, did you have a good day today? Yeah. Yeah, some of you, some of you are like, I don't know, I'm still waiting to decide. But here, let's just, let's just do this, though. I want you to turn to at least one person. I want you to fist bump them, and I want you to tell them that God has big plans for them. At least one person, fist bump them. Tell them God has good, big plans for them. Big plans for them. All right. Now... I want you to turn back to that same person, and I want you to say, tell them that God has big plans for you. Yeah, you just paused. Don't pause. Do it. Tell them, God has big plans for me, in your own words, your voice. He has big plans for you. Fist bump them. All right, good. Good. Some of you resorted to punching, not fist bumping, but okay. Listen, some of you were excited to say that God has big plans for you, and some of you just felt weird about it. Actually, most of you did. In fact, most of you paused like, seriously, you want me to say that about myself? And it's not really about you. It's about him. And it's why we're taking time this week to talk about the will of God. See, we're doing it in three parts. And this morning, man, we took time to talk about channel markers, how we can stay in the channel of God's will, that there's three channel markers that help us stay on track. If we, can, if we don't have all three lining up, we're outside, we're, we're drifting out of that channel, of, the safe part of the channel. They're the internal, external, and concrete. They're over there. You can see those, those little poles over there. We have internal, which is when we're walking with God, we're not in overt sin, we're in his word, we're praying that the Holy Spirit starts to lead us, so there's internal confirmation. But then there's external confirmation. It's our, 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 our righteous brothers and sisters in Christ. It's our, our, our parents who are Christians. It's our mentors, our pastors. That they speak in what's God saying to them. That's that external confirmation. And then there's the concrete confirmation where the Holy Spirit works out the opportunity. And if you don't have all three lined up, there is not that guarantee, or at least the, the confirmation is to say, I have confidence this is what God is asking of me. And I gotta tell you, in my life, I have sought to kind of follow that. It's not a magical formula. It's not a one plus two equals three, the will of God after that. It is simply a helpful tool to make sure we're listening to the right things. We're keeping the right posture. We have internal, external, and concrete lining up. We're in that safe channel, and God's will is more a channel than a tightrope. It's a channel. But if we're not, if we're, just, if we're just listening to what we feel, or we're just listening to what we hear, or we're, we're just basing it on whether a door's open or shut, we don't have the full picture. So you can get online, I think, and find the rest of that conversation, but it's important to understand that, because yesterday we talked about the alignment of our heart. It's where this whole thing starts. Where the, if we want our heart aligned with God, with his heart, 
It doesn't lead, it follows, and so we have to align our treasure, put all of who we are, everything we value before him so that it's aligned to his heart, and now our heart is in alignment too. Then from there, we can actually live in a cycle, a pattern that we talked about last night where God reveals who he is to us. We can know him. When we know him, we will love him. And when we love him, we will trust him because love always trusts. And we trust him, we obey. And when we obey, then he shows himself to us more. And then we can know, love, trust, obey, and know, love, trust, obey. That's his pattern. Now what we're doing tonight is we're continuing on the conversation about how we play in it, our part in this dynamic. And we spent some time this morning reviewing a principle, it's a tension that we all live in, and I want to catch up to it if you weren't here because you need to understand this tension because we all live in this tension. Every single one of us, every Christ follower lives in a tension between what is known and unknown. It's certain and uncertain. It's what's seen and unseen. We live in a tension of certainty, between certainty and uncertainty. And in this part of that equation, we can drift into uncertainty, we can embrace doubt, and that leads us to a posture of insecurity based in fear. And in that posture, we're independent. We're relying on ourselves. On the flip side, we can be so confident, so certain, we can run over here and demand something of God, but that's a posture of arrogance and it's rooted in pride. It's also independency. And rather than drifting or demanding, God wants us to drive down in our relationship with him to a posture of dependence. Dependence is a place of trust. It's a place that God shows up and it's the place that we can live with certainty amidst uncertainty. But it's only here. Yet we drift to independence on either side of it for lots of different reasons. This is the foundation. This is foundational for knowing and doing the will of God. We all live in this tension. You may know it. You may not know it. You may be able to say it and verbalize it. You may not have understood it until just now. Now you can verbalize it. You can even draw it. <laughs> but we all live in this tension, and we all make different choices in it. But as we journey through life, we, we encounter these crossroad moments where we make decisions of where we're going to place our dependence. And those crossroad moments are defining moments. The choices we make in those moments matter. They have a ripple. In fact, at every crossroad moment, a choice is required. That complicates the reality. That, that those choices matter, there's a ripple to them, and every time we hit a crossroads, we have to make a choice, it's required, and, and that, that there's a ripple to that. Now, I don't know what crossroad you're at, but I know that you're going to have to make a choice. And when you make that choice, you're not just deciding and resolving the crossroad, you're setting a trajectory forward. So those choices we make at those crossroad moments, they matter. Now, we're going to have a conversation tonight that, that I want to anchor in the life of Moses. Actually, just a few moments in the life of Moses out of Exodus chapter 2. And if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it. I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. You can click down to that. We're going to be there for most of our journey tonight. And... If you read earlier in Exodus chapter 1, you would know that there's a dynamic that's setting up Moses' entry into the world. In fact, Pharaoh 
fell into the left and right of this paradigm. If you understand what Pharaoh did, Pharaoh, in his insecurity and fear, oppressed the Hebrew people. But then in his pride and arrogance, he ordered the death of all Hebrew male babies. Pharaoh functioned on both sides of this equation. But there was a group of women, the midwives, who chose not to do that. They placed their dependence in God. They refused to follow the order of Pharaoh, and they depended on him. And God not only protected them, he rewarded them, and he gave them families of their own. Because God always rewards dependence. Dependence is based in trust, and trust requires risk. So we're going to be looking in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1, and it's really the beginning of the journey of Moses. And I know this is a familiar story. I, I know that, but hang with me because I'm coming at it from a slightly different perspective. And it matters tremendously on how well you can live into this tension based on the things that we're talking about tonight. So here we go. Let's just dive down into it, starting with verse 1. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. Let me pause right there. There were 12 tribes in the nation of Israel. The tribe of Levi was the source of the priests. They were the spiritual leaders. And so a, a spiritual leader of the tribe of Levi married another Levite. They became pregnant. She, as you continue to read, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now, as I just described in Exodus chapter 1, we know that that child was born into a hostile world as part of an oppressed people. He was born into the superpower nation of Egypt as a foreigner, as an alien, as an immigrant. And he, like everyone else like him, male Hebrew babies, were under a royal death sentence. Tough time to be born a Hebrew male. But he had something going in his favor. He had parents of faith. Parents of faith. And we find out who they are in actually Exodus chapter 6. His dad was Amram, and his mom was Jacobed. Amram and Jacobed. They also had a son named Aaron and a daughter named Miriam. But Jacobed was exceptional. She was exceptional. Look at what happens here. When she saw that he, the baby, was a fine child, and fine there means good, pleasant, uh, uh, agreeable, that he was a good baby. Because she saw he was a good baby and because God was working in her, she took a risk and she hid him for three months. Now remember, Pharaoh had ordered all Hebrew male babies to be thrown in the Nile and drowned. But she refused to do it. She didn't give in. She depended on God in the midst of the tension of it all. That was exceptional. Now, if you've ever spent any time with a little baby and you've ever tried to keep them quiet for three minutes let alone three hours or three weeks, for three months to hide and keep quiet a baby? Good grief, that's exceptional. But she did it. In fact, she did it until she couldn't do it anymore. Let's keep reading. Verse three, but when she could, could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Jacobed was exceptional. Not just because of what she did, but how and why she did it. See, dependence is an issue of trust, not strength, not weakness. Dependence is an issue of trust. Just like faith is more an issue of trust than it is about belief, dependence is an issue of trust. In Psalm 56, 3, it says, when I am afraid... I put my trust in you. That's an expression of dependence. Now listen, dependence requires trust, and trust requires risk. 
And if you're ever going to do great things with God, it will always require a risk. Always require a risk. Dependence requires trust. Trust requires a risk. Now, the deal is, too, I think too many Christians, we get into a relationship with God out of convenience and on and, and our comfort. And so we'll stand in moments, a crossroad decision moments, and we'll look around and say, okay, I'm going to choose this based on what is convenient or based on what doesn't jeopardize my comfort rather than how does this play out in risking big for God. And we look where people are going. We look where other people are deciding, oh, I'm going to follow them. I'm going to throw my baby in the Nile too. But listen, God calls us to be a people who depend on him, who trust him, and risk in his name. And Jacobet and Amram didn't do what most people do. They didn't stand at that crossroads, look what everybody else is doing, and just follow along. They stood alone in that moment. And they made a decision understanding that doing great things with God always requires a risk. Now, I want to be clear, I am not talking about foolish risk. I'm not talking about um, ignorant risk. I'm talking about obedient risk, the kind of risk where we live in a life posture where God doesn't show up, we're in trouble. Where we live in this posture of dependence while engaging the practice of prayer. It reminds me of the story I once heard. There was a guy by the name of Jack who was out for a hike along a mountaintop, and he was along a trail with a steep drop-off along the cliff. And at one point, he got a little too close, and he fell off. And as he fell, was falling, he grabbed a hold of a branch, just hanging on and clinging on for dear life. And he stopped himself, but as he looked down, he realized he was still about 1,000 feet above the ground, and it was so steep and above him, he couldn't climb out. He was desperate. He didn't know what he could do, and he couldn't hold on for long, so he just started to call out, help, help, is anybody up there? Just hoping somebody was walking by, somebody would throw him a rope. And he continued to yell, but nobody heard him. He was about to give up until he heard a voice say, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? He said, yeah, yeah, I can hear you. I'm down here. Help. He said, Jack, I see you. Jack, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, but where are you? Who are you? The voice said, I'm the Lord. Jack said, God? Yeah. Oh, hey, God, please, please get me out of here. I, I promise I won't sin. I'll be a good person. I'll follow you the rest of my life. Whoa, 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 easy, Jack. Easy on the promises. Let's get you down from there first, then we'll talk. So here's what I want you to do. Listen carefully. Oh, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me what you want me to do. Okay, listen. I want you to let go of the branch. <laughs> what? You heard me? I said, let go of the branch. Trust me. Let go. There's a long silence. And then Jack said, help, help. Is anybody else up there? <laughs> Look, doing great things with God will always require a risk that we may or may not want to take. But if we're going to live in a posture of dependence and demonstrate trust, it will require us to step in risk. Whether we feel like we want to or not, because the ultimate reality is about obedience. Amram and Jacobed took a big risk. Big risk. They didn't do it just out of parental instinct, though. They did it out of faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that. Check this out. By faith... Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
They were not what? Oh, come on. They were not what? Afraid. Afraid. They did not allow the uncertainty to lead to an insecurity that was rooted in fear where they functioned independently. Instead, they chose to drive down in their relationship and in a posture of dependency to trust. They didn't drift in fear. Jacobed and Amram chose a posture of dependence and they risked in trust and God rewarded that. He rewarded it. Now, I think too often when we look at this dynamic and we're talking about who, who we are with God and our relationship with him, when, when we are comfortable with what's going on and we're like, I like what's happening and, and I see the opportunities and I'm ready to roll and we're living over here in our certainty, we will drift from dependence to a place where we say, because I know what should happen, I'm going to take control and I'm going to make sure that what happens happens because I see what's supposed to happen. That's independency. That's not dependency. Even if the thing you think is supposed to happen actually is supposed to happen, when you start to do it on your own without submitting to independence to the Lord, you're wrong. On the flip side, when we're uncertain, like, oh my gosh, I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm struggling. I'm afraid of what might happen. We take control so that the bad things that we think might happen don't happen because we are afraid. That's independence. But listen, our relationship with God is based not in circumstances, it's based in trust. A relationship with God is based in trust, not in circumstances. And trust requires risk. Sometimes it's big risk and sometimes it's small risk, but it always requires risk. Now, I know that many of you know what happens in the rest of this story around this baby. I find it interesting that Jacobed actually kind of does what Pharaoh says. She put her son in the Nile. <laughs> Just put him in a basket first. But that's not all she did. What she did was very strategic and very intentional. In fact, she asked her daughter Miriam to stand by the river and wait. And I don't know if God gave Jacobed this plan, you know, kind of told her all the details or if he led her differently. But what I do know, absolutely know, he worked in it, totally worked in it. So with very intentional action, what ends up happening through God's providence, Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket, finds the baby, then interacts with Miriam. Miriam then goes and gets her mother. Her mother then comes and is hired by Pharaoh's daughter to raise her own child and get paid for it. Woohoo! That's how the things of God work, people. God rewarded Jacobed's trust and dependence. As she trusted him and hid Moses for three months. As she trusted him and released him at the river. And God always rewards dependence expressed in trust. But on the flip side, choosing independence always comes at a cost. Choosing independence always comes at a cost. It always costs something. And and often the cost is immeasurable. It's things that we can see, and it's things that we don't see. There are things that now can't happen. There's things that will never now happen. There are things that won't be based on the choices that we make in that dynamic. There is a cost to independence. But I want to keep rolling in this story and come back to that point. You see, in verse 10, we're going to see that Jacobed raises that child and, and When he's a little bit older, she takes him to Pharaoh's daughter and he becomes her son. And she gives him the name Moses. And in that moment, he becomes part of a royal family. As 
a son of Pharaoh's daughter, he lived like royalty. He received all the benefits of being a royal family and received all the education and experience that Egypt had. And Egypt at this time was one of the most advanced and scientific societies of its day. And we know actually in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, that Moses received that education. Look, it says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Now, those two things are very interesting to me, especially the speech part, if you know the rest of his story, a little bit later. But the action part is also interesting, and I'm going to share in a few moments. He was powerful in speech and action. He was trained, he was educated, he was successful. Yet he was also, we know this, he was also influenced by Jacobet in his life. So he didn't just have the Egyptian education and training, he had his Hebrew heritage as well. And he was positioned, seemingly positioned to be ideally situated for God to use to bless his people. But Moses had a hint of independence at this point. He had a piece of independence in who he was. And so at the age of 40, at the age of 40, he, he enters into a crossroads moment where he makes a decision that sets a whole other trajectory in his life. At a crossroads moment, he makes a decision where he shifts from dependency to independency. And it changes everything. It turns everything on its head. Let's take a look. Verses 11 and 12 in Exodus 2. One day after Moses had grown up, how old was he? Forty. Good job, those of you paying attention. Hang with me. When he had grown up, he was 40 years old. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. So he knew where he came from. He knew his heritage. He had this a connection to, to where his roots were. He goes out to those, that place, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Now, the word for beating can mean hitting or striking, but it can also mean slaughtering and slaying or killing. So this was a severe beating. This wasn't just a punch and a kick. This was a severe beating. And in that moment, he looks left and right. He assesses what's happening around him, and then he makes a decision to take control, to function in independency. And seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. So Moses committed premeditated murder. Someone who had been up to this point positioned and groomed and trained to be an heir to Pharaoh in one crossroad moment, moment makes a decision that changes everything. A decision where he moved from dependency to independency. And choosing, depend, choosing independence always comes at a cost, right? Always costs us something. In fact, everyone loses. Everyone loses when we choose independence. It's not just us. Everyone loses when we choose independence. It's the people around us. It's the people not yet around us. It's the people who now will never be around us based on the fact that we just made that decision. Everyone loses when we choose independence. There's an immeasurable ripple. And Moses, Moses sought the right thing the wrong way. See, when he decided to take things into his own hands, he, he chose independence. He chose to be the deliverer of the people the way he thought made sense. Moses went from a posture of dependence to a place of arrogant pride and independence. When he killed that Egyptian, then he hid them. What Moses sought to do wasn't necessarily wrong, not the killing part, the freeing of the people part. He had the right what? He had the wrong How? And the moment that he took it into his own hands, he disqualified himself and he positioned 
himself outside of God's ability to use him at that moment. Now, I don't know if God wanted to use Moses in that more public leadership role in Egypt before this moment. But I do know after he moved from dependence to independence, he couldn't. Everything changed for Moses in this moment. Moses tried to do God's work his own way, in his own wisdom, in his own power, in a posture of independence, and that will never work. It didn't work for Moses, and it won't work for you. Look, Moses assumed that his people would see him as the sent by God as their deliverer, but they didn't. And we know that because the very next day he goes out to the same area and he sees two Hebrews fighting. And he says to the one who's clearly in the wrong, he says, why are you fighting your brother? And that man responds in verse 14. He says this, look with me. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. He was what? He was afraid. Uncertainty, insecurity, fear. He was afraid, and he thought, what, what I did must have become known. Now, he doesn't know for sure how far that ripple has gone, but he is already living with the anxiety and worry of his independence. It's the cost of his independence. There's always a ripple. It's immeasurable. So, verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. Cat's out of the bag. Everybody knows now. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. All right, Moses desired to see his people delivered. That was not the problem. The desire to see them set free was not the problem. The problem was he was trying to do it out of a posture of independence rather than dependence. He was trying to fulfill the, word of, the will of God in a posture of independence rather than dependence, and that will never work. God was the deliverer of Israel, not Moses. God wanted to set and would set his people free by his power, not Moses' power. He would do it by his authority, not Moses' authority. He would use Moses, but it would be through God's power and God's authority that he would set his own people free. And I believe often God wants to do the same thing, use his power and his authority to set others free in our life, to make sure we're free, but we can be like Moses, and we can be too independent to be used. That was the problem with Moses. He was too big at this point, too independent to be used, or maybe better yet, wasn't dependent enough. So after 40 years of seemingly perfect preparation, now Moses faces another 40 years of retraining and teaching and preparation. Another 40. But it wasn't just Moses. The Israelites experienced another 40 years of oppression. Everyone loses when we choose independence. And I wonder who's losing in your life right now because you're choosing independence. It matters. And if you have people in your life that are losing because you've been choosing independence, I want you to know that it doesn't have to stay that way. It can change. We face crossroad moments in life. We can make decisions, and even though the stuff behind us is not quite right, it's the blood of Jesus that covers that. We can stand at a new crossroads, and we can look for the new path, the right path, and we make a new decision where God can work and move, where he wasn't able to work and move before. And we don't have to guess at it. The word of God helps us. In fact, it was Paul who wrote in his letter to the church in Corinth. He said this, He said, these are all warning markers, danger in our history books written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. 
Our position, positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. We are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. Forget about independence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Cultivate dependence. That's good counsel from Paul. It's really good counsel. But I think the question that comes out of this is actually how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I think there's three things that we can learn from the life of Jacobet and Moses that I want to give you. I want to give you them up front and I want to walk back down through them. Three things, they all start with an R because that's what preachers do. But here's the first one. It's risk, second is release, and third is respond. It's risk, release, respond. Say that with me. Risk, release, respond. First one is risk. This is where we live in loving obedience to God. This is where we place our trust in him that requires risk, and so we risk with God. We risk beyond recovery, but not his cover. We risk in a manner where he has to show up or we're in trouble. We risk beyond recovery, but not beyond his cover. This is exactly what Jochebed did. When she hid Moses, she risked beyond recovery. Had she been discovered, she would have been killed. The baby would have been killed. Maybe her whole family killed. She risked beyond recovery, but not beyond God's cover because she stayed in a posture of dependence. Risk. Do the right thing out of selfless heart. Even if if it's unpopular or if it's prohibited, do the right thing. Step boldly in obedience to God. Obey him above everything else, remembering that doing great things with God always requires a risk. So risk. Beyond recovery, but not his cover. Then release. Release. Choose him over all things. Hold with open hands. Let go and release the thing you love. Let go of those things. Quit hanging on to the branch. Independence always comes at a cost. It always comes with a sacrifice. So, so release. Let go. Let go. Jacobed released when she put that basket in the Nile and let go. That very precious thing that she dearly loved. When she released that in the Nile, she let it go. She may have been hoping perhaps that God would bring it back around, but he knew that, she knew that he would take care of it. She may have been hoping it would come back around, but she released it fully in full dependence of God. We're not guaranteeing a certainty amidst that uncertainty, just a trust and a dependence. And hear me, listen. Giving to get is not giving, it's exchange. And releasing without letting go is not releasing. So release. Risk and release, and then respond. Respond. Responding is that direct action where we boldly step into the opportunity that God brings next. Because when we risk and we release, God starts to work and move and he positions us to respond to the opportunities in front of us. And, and this happened in Moses' birth family. Miriam stood by the, by the river and she responded when the opportunity came to engage the conversation around the baby. Then Jacobed responded and the opportunity to come back and invest in her son and raise her son. It's risk, release, respond. Jacobed did that, risk, release, respond. She risked when she hid Moses. She released when she put him in the river. And she responded when the opportunity came back around for for God to use her in the life of her child. Jacobed did that. But hear me, Moses did not. In the moment we looked at, Moses did not. Moses risked in the sense that he had an affection and an affinity towards the people by which he came. But he skipped release and jumped to respond. 
He went from risking, having that feeling, that love, and wanting to see, seeing the thing that was wrong and knowing it shouldn't be, but he didn't release it, he responded. So what ended up happening is he went from dependence to independence when he killed the Egyptian. He risked and then responded. He didn't release. Then in the very next moment, he actually flip-flops to this side, and he, when he risked and released, and he didn't release, he actually just responded. In his fear, he ran to Midian, independence. He flip-flopped. And we can do the same thing in our own life. When things are feeling uncomfortable, we take control. When we feel comfortable and confident, we take control, rather than sitting in a posture of dependence and trust expressed in risk. And everybody loses when we choose independence. Moses didn't do this in this moment. Jacobed did. And I know we can too. I know I have. Too many times I have drifted left and right in that tension. But God is good and he is gracious. And he forgives. And if we want to be part of doing great things for God, with God, we want to be part of his greater purposes, we have to risk, release, and respond. Have to. And I realize that there, there could be, even in this space right now, some of you who need to risk with Jesus for the very first time or after a long time of wandering. You need to risk with him and you need to release your life to him so that you can respond to his authority. We can talk about that as a salvation moment. We can talk about that as a rededication moment. But the reality is, if you don't risk with Jesus and release your life to him and then respond to his authority, you will never know and do the will of God. Your heart will not be aligned to his. You won't be able to make sense of the channel markers. And you'll live in that tension of certainty and uncertainty, bouncing back and forth, not sitting in stillness and dependency. When you risk and release and respond to Jesus, he makes you innocent, he makes you clean, he makes us clean. And Oswald Chambers has a great quote, it's too good to pass by. Here's what he said. He said, God does not make us holy in the sense of character. He makes us holy in the sense of innocence. And we have to turn that innocence into holy character by a series of moral choices. Ah, that's good. That's true. It's those crossword moments. We turn that innocence into holy character by the moral choices we make out of that innocence as we risk, release, respond. Look, if you're, if you're thinking you're at a crossroads tonight, you are. You totally are. And, and you can stand there and you can respond like Moses where you risk and respond and you don't release. Or you can respond like Jacobed. And you can risk, release, and respond. And you can see God begin to work and move like never before in your life. You're at a crossroads. Maybe it's a second chance crossroads, but you're at a moment tonight to make a decision based on how the Holy Spirit's touching and prompting you in your decision and navigating certainty and uncertainty and where your posture is as it relates to dependence and independence. You're at a crossroads, and every crossroad requires a choice, and all of our crossroad choices matter. So here's a little bit, of, a little bit harder truth. We go back to risk, release, and respond. This, listen, it, if you tend to be passive or insecure, you tend not to risk. If you're a person who tends to be passive, you tend not to risk. You, you won't risk. If you tend to be an action-oriented person, you tend not to release. Moses was an action-oriented person. We know that from Acts 7, verse 22. He was powerful in speech and what? Action. 
He was an action-oriented person, and he struggled to release. And if you're an action-oriented person, it's likely you struggle to release. But if you're a half-hearted, half-committed person who, who's really in the relationship with God for what you get more than what you can give, you tend not to respond because the cost is too great. It challenges your comfort. But walking with God is not about our comfort. He doesn't call us to comfort. He calls us to conquer. And that means we have to risk, respond, risk release, and respond. So where is, where is God asking you to risk for his greater purposes tonight? Where is he asking you to respond for his greater purposes? Where is he asking you to release for his greater purposes? Where is he asking you to risk, release, or respond? He is. He is. It may be big, it may be small, it may be public, it may be private. He's asking you to risk, release, or respond in some area of your life so that his will can be done, so his greater purposes can be seen through you, and you can be part of something much bigger than yourself, even now. Where is he asking you to risk, release, or respond? You know, my wife, Beth, and I have struggled in our extended family with an extended family member who's struggled in addiction. And if you know somebody or have been in addiction or have been around somebody in addiction, you know that's a roller coaster dynamic. But the posture of dependence gives the ability to risk again. The posture of dependence allows us to create frameworks where we can have healthy relationship by setting up loving boundaries to release them to the God who loves them more than we do and then to be ready to respond and re-engaging in healthy interaction. It's risk, release, respond. And I don't know if you've got a relationship with your sibling, with your parents, with a friend or a special friend where you need to risk. You need to risk and maybe trust again, maybe show some grace and love and forgiveness in that, but in order to do that, you gotta release them to the one who loves them more than you do. And then you sit ready for if or when God creates a moment for healthy re-engagement, redemptive re-engagement. Where is he asking you to risk, release, and respond? In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to create a space to do this, and if that means physically moving, go for it. If it means just taking a different posture, do that. If it means grabbing a notebook and actually starting to write what you hear the Holy Spirit saying, do you do that? I want you to create a space where you answer the question, where is God asking you to risk, release, respond? In a relationship, in an addiction, in a struggle, in, a, in an offense, a betrayal, an injustice in your life, where is he asking you to risk, release, and respond? And if you're still working through with your heart alignment, you're still working through whether or not you even trust him to any degree, have that conversation. Now, I want to create this space for you to do that right now. Worship team is going to lead us. But if we believe that we believe God for what he said, it defines how we live. And the certainty that we do not know everything, we don't have it all figured out. If you think you have all that figured out, it's proof you really don't. I say that lovingly. It's that uncertainty that keeps us. It's the secret to how we stay dependent on Jesus and he is trustworthy. So risk, release, respond. You know, when Moses ran for his life, I'm pretty sure that he likely thought God was not able to ever use him again. That he'd missed his opportunity to be part of the freeing of his people. He was just done. There's nothing he could do. But it was at that point where he was actually where God wanted him in a posture of dependence, realizing he can do nothing apart from God, but with him, all things are possible. 
Now Moses would go on to be a person who lived in a posture of dependence and he would risk, release, respond, risk, release, respond, risk, release, respond over and over and over again. And he had a couple stumbles along the way, but we serve a God of love and grace. You may have struggled and stumbled along the way somewhere, but tonight is a night, this is a crossroad moment for you to say, I'm done with that, Lord. I choose dependence, I choose trust, I choose to risk with you as I release and I respond. So let go of the branch. Step boldly into his grace, step boldly into his presence and have the honest conversation with him right now of where he's asking you to risk, release, respond. Because as the prophet Jeremiah recorded the words of the Lord, here's what he said. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. This is where you stand tonight. Risk, release, respond. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna worship. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, as we each take a posture before you that makes sense to us, whether we're just bowing forward or moving onto our knees or moving to a space where we can lay flat out on the floor, prostrate before you, God. We humbly approach your throne in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask that in these next few moments that your Holy Spirit would speak and you would reveal to each person here, including me, where you're asking us to risk, release, respond, where you're asking us to sit in a posture of dependence, letting you control things, giving up that independence and not embracing insecurity or embracing, embracing arrogance, but to sit in stillness before you and know that you are God and to be able to risk, release, and respond. God, I pray that we would be like Yaakov Ed. God, I pray that for some here today, they were like Moses at some point. They took control. They risked and they responded and they did something they regret. They did something that set them on a different path. But today can be the day that you realign because the deal is you work all things for the good of those who love you. You can redeem the stuff we mess up. You're not bound by that. And so in these moments, God, speak. Speak, Lord. Show us where to risk, release, and respond.